0: This week, one of my alma maters invited me to attend a webinar. The title of the webinar was Gaining Power and Influence in the Workplace. I didn't sign up. Although the speakers did look interesting, I don't actually know who signs up for these webinars, but it is exactly the kind of webinar that would have appealed to the two main characters in today's gospel lesson according to Mark james and john are brothers the zebedee brothers and they have already established themselves as two of the three closest disciples to jesus along with peter they are part of jesus's inner circle and so they go to their boss jesus and ask if they can go to the webinar on gaining power and influence they begin as any wise employee would by asking if it's okay to ask Jesus, we, we have something we want you to do for us. Sure, he says, what do you have in mind? Well, if you could let one of us sit on your right hand and the other one sit on your left hand, you see they both want corner offices. They both want to be chosen for a cabinet position before their candidate even takes office and the, before the press begins to speculate who it is that will have the most rank and influence in the realm of God. They want to sit in glory with Jesus. Now, I imagine at this moment Jesus trying to suppress laughter at their ridiculous question, or maybe his mouth falls open because he is dumbfounded at their request. Jesus says to them, Well, do you think you're up for the job? I mean." Can you be baptized, as I was when I began this job, immersing your whole life in what God wants? Can you travel with me all the way to the Last Supper and drink the cup that I drink just before I go to the cross? Well, of course we can, say James and John. And about that time, the other ten disciples get wind of the fact that James and John are trying to cut a backroom deal with Jesus and they are smoking hot mad because why is it that James and John are trying to get this power and privilege and influence with Jesus while the rest of them are about to be passed over for the promotion? In the Gospel of Mark, you see, Jesus' closest associates, his dearest friends, never quite get it. They never quite grasp what it is that Jesus is talking about. They seem so dense all the way through. For instance, in this passage, chapter 10, already in the previous few chapters, Jesus has told them, on three occasions that he is about to go up to jerusalem where he will be betrayed and condemned and mocked and killed and then rise again but the only part of that they seem to hear is the part about rising again and so now they request to rise to the top with jesus but they remain deaf and blind to the real ways of jesus jesus lives a life that can best be seen In the ways that he kneels at the feet of a friend and washes the friend's feet, but meanwhile his closest associates are trying to sign up for that webinar on power and influence. When my son Connor graduated from college he took a part-time job at Starbucks. He worked the early morning shift Monday through Thursday so that he could keep his afternoons, evenings, and weekends free to do what he loves most, and that is play with different bands in Nashville and even go on the road with them. Well, the job at Starbucks was eye-opening. He called me one day completely aghast at how rudely the public treats baristas. He said, you know, Mom, people are not at their best before they have their first cup of coffee in the morning they won't look me in the eye they're brusque and rude and he said just the other day one of our regular customers came running in in a huff he always grabs his coffee before going to his job across the street at the hospital but this day he was furious and he said your online app is not working and so you're going to need to get me my coffee in the next 90 seconds and Connor said Clearly, I am not in charge of the online app. He could see that, and I am a human being, but I felt so much pressure to get this man his coffee right away, and so, Mom, I gave him decaf. (laughs) You and I live in a world where busboys and baristas and housekeepers and nurses' aides are poorly valued social workers, and public school teachers with master's degree earn modest incomes, while football players with no education at all earn a fortune. Servanthood has the same lowly place in our culture as it did in the society surrounding Jesus. And I am just as guilty as buying into this system of valuing people as is anyone else. Currently, we are seeking to fill a position in our music department, and I find myself reading through the resumes quickly, asking myself the quick key points. Did they go to a good school? Do they have an advanced degree? Have they worked at a large church? Have they recorded an album, directed a symphony, or played with Yo-Yo Ma? If not, we move on to the next resume. We judge a person based on his or her accomplishment. Never once. On the resume, does someone write in, I serve at the local food pantry each Saturday. I care for my aging mother who has Alzheimer's. Like those disciples named James and John, we too get confused, and we too remain blind and deaf to the way of glory in the realm of God. Now, we do have our moments when we see how life-giving it can be to choose the path of service. For instance, my friends Bob and Mary Ann, who retired just a few years ago, both living in this beautiful community in Vermont. She had been a school teacher, he a superintendent. Their children were grown, and they decided it was time to play. And so they traveled to Italy, and they found a little condominium that was very close to where... Marianne's family had all come from, and this would give them a chance to not only relax, but spend time with their Italian branch of the family. And then after settling into their condo, they realized that not too far down the coast from their condominium was a spot where refugees were arriving by the thousands from sub-Sahara Africa. Many of them teenagers, 14, 15, 16 years old, who were fleeing repressive regimes, horrible dictators, war and famine. And these children were arriving with nothing but the clothes on their backs, having risked their life in these rickety boats on the Mediterranean. And Bob and Mary Ann thought, we can help. And so they began teaching English and teaching Italian at this organization set up by the Protestant church called Mediterranean Hope and it is there in that organization that they met a young teenage boy named Musa. His father had been murdered by the brutal regime in the small African country where he came from, and Musa feared for his own life, and so he boarded one of those boats, and in their class of English and Italian, they could see that this young teenage boy was brilliant and that he was dedicated to his studies, and they wanted him to go to college, and so they began working with him until he applied to come to school in the United States, and just a few weeks ago, he got off the plane in Vermont and moved into Bob and Marianne's home so that he can complete his senior year of high school at a Catholic school in Vermont and then go on to college. And Bob and Mary Ann told me, it's tough being parents again, having raised our children, and now... We're back at it, homework and activities and nightly meals, but we are finding the most amazing sense of joy at watching this young man thrive. Bob and Mary Ann found joy in pouring themselves out in love. When I first came to this congregation in the late 1980s, there was a woman named Evie who was here every week with her husband Paul. Paul had enjoyed a strong career in the legal field, but now suffered with Alzheimer's. And Evie, who came up on me about this tall, was the kindest, gentlest, sweetest person you could ever hope to meet. And she lavished good care upon Paul, bringing him to church every Sunday, sitting by his side, preserving his dignity, And loving him until his very last breath and watching her serve him with such delight and tenderness was the very definition of God's grace for many years I got to travel with our church's mission team to Nicaragua and on every one of those trips there was a moment when we had a patient in our makeshift medical clinic whose life was in danger and whose spirit was broken by neglect and disease and our team was able to step in at just the right moment, not only with the right medicine, not only with the cure, but also with a sense of hope that God had not abandoned the poorest of the poor. And these moments in those dusty, rural, out-in-the-middle-of-no-place villages in Nicaragua were some of the happiest moments of my life. There were moments in those dusty villages when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that serving others was what mattered above all else. But maintaining this attitude of service is so terribly difficult in our culture that prizes power and influence. That webinar, it beckons for all of us because the culture in which we live values the glory that comes with the worldly measures of success like money, and power, and education, and status, and prestige, and privilege. And so we struggle to serve. And after all, there are so many reasons not to serve. We're busy, for one. We don't really have the time. We don't have enough vacation time to go on a mission trip. There are not enough Saturdays for us to take a couple of them and dedicate them to Grace at Work. And we know that serving sometimes feels like drudgery. When you go to visit that aunt in the nursing home and she tells you the same story that she told you on your last six visits, it feels like drudgery. And when the grandkids come for an overnight sleepover and you can't keep your eyes open for the next two days because you didn't get a week of sleep, it is not motivating. Sometimes service does not feel very rewarding. Like those times when you go to a homeless shelter and serve a hot meal to some homeless families and not one person says thank you and you wonder if it's worth it. In today's dialogue with James and John, Jesus breaks through all of our resistance to service. Jesus acknowledges that the world's definition of glory is all about power and influence. But Jesus says that his life is not about glory and he cannot offer us glory only God can do that all Jesus can do is to invite us to see a different way and I'm not sure if too many folks in the time of Jesus really saw what Jesus wanted them to see a few maybe did but not even his closest friends according to mark really saw they wanted him to rise, to be the king, to be a strong leader, to topple the forces in Rome, to challenge the political machine. But instead, he walked to Jerusalem, to the cross, loving and serving everyone he could along the way. He tried to teach them, and then he tried to show them with his life that the way to greatness is to serve. For Jesus, service was not something that you checked a box of that you had to do that you could do on a Saturday. It was not an obligation. He reframed the equation so that it was a desire, a deep longing, a want to. Jesus had the inner freedom to kneel down low and wash the feet of a stranger and feed a hungry person and lift up a child and touch the untouchable leper. He redefined service so that to serve was to find the way to freedom. In one of her books, Kathleen Norris tells a story about someone who did get the point. It happened a few years back in Croatia. It was in the season following the Civil War in Croatia before it became a tourist destination There was a Croatian man of Serbian descent who was a Christian, and he was put in charge of managing a refugee resettlement program, and he was working on plans to rebuild a Muslim village that had been destroyed in the Civil War. As he laid out the blueprints and began studying the plans, he was surprised to learn that there was no mosque plotted in this village. He went to the town's mayor, and he questioned him and said, this is so surprising, shouldn't there be a mosque in this village? And the mayor said, well, we thought that since you were a Christian organization that you wouldn't want any part of building a mosque. And the Christian relief worker responded that it was precisely because they were Christian that they wanted to help rebuild the mosque. He had the freedom to serve and he didn't have any need for influence or power. Jesus' friends, James and John and all the rest, they want to sit at his right hand and at his left. They want to share in the glory of Jesus. Only a few chapters later, Mark tells us that finally, one person was placed on his right and one on his left, and they were the lowliest of the lowly. They were common criminals, crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left.